Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is Stan Drive here with my friend Nick Braccia. Coming to talk about UFC 243. We're going to talk about next week's UFC in which Jan Jacek goes up against Waterson. Nick, a lot going on. How was your week, bud? I was, it was pretty good, man. I had a uh, you know busy work week, busy working on my book, saw some movies. Uh, it's award show time, and I'm in the Producers Guild, so I get to go to fun screenings. Like I saw The Irishman with, uh, with Robert De Niro. Um, Badass. Yeah, he was doing the. Uh, he did a little Q and A after the. Um, uh, after, you saw De Niro after the screening. Nikolai? Yeah, I'll send you some pictures, man. He was nice. He did a big. Uh, he trolled Trump for a while. He did a whole anti-Trump spiel that was really funny. I can only imagine. And That's then, great. Yeah, man. it was really. It was really good to be there. I was like six, you know, six rows back, and then I. Um, and then I also saw a movie by my favorite director, Olivier Assayas, called The Wasp Network that was really cool. It's based on a book. I hadn't heard about this before, but it's about um, Cuban spies in Miami in the 80s and 90s. And, like this, co- this, whole, like, this whole like double agent spy network. Uh, outside of that, you know, watch some fights, watch some baseball. The Yankees are killing it. And um, I have this also this like life size uh, dummy in my room that that I've designed to look just like Stan, and I I um, I leg kicked it and calf kicked it 103 times. Nick, I just ask that you don't do anything sexual to it again. Okay, <laughs> like, <again>. Any man, <laughs> <laughs> you motherfucker! <laughs> so Robert Goddamn De Niro, Nick, that is freaking yeah. So he cool. looked he looks pretty cool. The, the guy can't keep himself from cussing about the president on on like cable TV, so I wasn't surprised that he did a riff yeah, on Trump. Yeah, he didn't cut. Yeah, he did. He did. He did. He didn't cuss, but uh, he was pretty funny. That is pretty freaking awesome. I, I'm a I'm a big fan of the guy. Did you get to ask him any questions? Uh, I did not. Only like two people did. The per, the woman that, from Colombia that was running the Q and A like made everything about herself. She was terrible. So uh, you know that happens yes. a lot I of times in the Q and A. I, I, I hear that. Really and in a room with Robert De Niro to make everything about yourself is pretty impressive. I think Israel Asanya fucking overperformed to say the least. I mean, he looked so goddamn good against Rob Whitaker. He damn near knocked him out in that first round. It came in and finished him in that second round, man. What did you think? I thought he looked like 2008 Anderson Silva. It felt like if, if I know it's not quite analogous, but it felt like Forrest Griffin running like running into Silva and just, you know, Adesanya do it doing Jedi defense and clocking him. But the fact is, that's not entirely true cuz Adesanya took some licks. Like Whitaker, you know, I think on both of the shots that dropped Whitaker, he landed first. He just didn't get the heck out of the way. And he was committing so much with those shots that his chin was just hanging out and he he didn't have anywhere to go. And he caught a, you know, he caught a, a shot and then he caught a one, two. And uh, Adesanya looked cool, ready, durable, comfortable and rose to the occasion. And Whitaker look like a man with a plan A and no plan B. Yeah, it seemed like he almost didn't get the chance to shift to a plan B even if he was planning on it. He talked about how he felt like he was doing well. He was doing okay. He did he, was, he, he did damn near get knocked out in that first round. Well, I wouldn't call that doing well. Well, he right until the end he was. I mean, he was fighting very aggressively and he was moving forward and he was he was throwing shots, but it he was um you know, he was kind of chasing him. I mean, it probably isn't that different than the way that he fought Derek Brunson, but he uh, he was he was playing. He was certainly playing with fire. Like Ga- Gastelum, Ga- Gastelum had a much more uh, cautious approach. I mean, if I remember correctly, the first couple minutes of the Gastelum Adesanya fight, uh, 
you know, the commentary was saying things like these, you know, these guys, it's a game of inches. Like they're just measuring each other, getting their timing right. Cause nothing was happening for oh, like the first 90 seconds, maybe. Um, but that wasn't, you know, Whitaker just went in throwing shots. Uh, yeah. And- I think that was really his only chance to land is by, is by really covering that distance. And Adesanya seemed to have had a lot of the answers for Whitaker that I think he knows would not work against other guys. Uh, I think the worst style matchup for Whitaker would be a guy that is going to throw a punch as Whitaker is coming in and kind of counter at the same time mm-hmm. as Whitaker's throwing. This was probably second to that, second to his worst case scenario. But he could have actually avoided a lot of Adesanya's offense by not staying in there yep. for a long exchange, right? If he just come in with a shot or two and move his head, use his footwork to get back out, he would have been okay relatively. Yeah. He would have burned a lot of energy, granted, doing that, but he would have been okay. Um, and, and I think you mentioned after the fight that he should have gone for takedowns. I agree with you. I don't think he could have got, gotten takedowns, but I think just the the threat of a takedown would have given Adesanya something else to think about. Adesanya still probably would have won the fight, but it would have been a little bit more competitive and maybe lasted a little bit longer if that were the case. Yeah, I mean, kind of a disappointment, but I'm also, I'm, you know, it's, Listen, like Whitaker didn't wasn't very active as a champion, but he was durable and he's a he's a very good fighter. He's a great fighter, but uh, I but I don't know that he was going to be a, a global star. Adesanya's got exactly this style. I mean, he's he's got good sprawl, good takedown defense. He's got flashy strikes. He's got a he's got a natural charisma and unshakable confidence. Um, we've seen him uh, come like similar to, to Connor against something like you know Chad Mendez in the um, which was probably Connor you know was I mean Connor was a star I guess before that but that first time you overcome some adversity uh, is such a big deal and when Adesanya took you know took that head kick from Gastelum and came back like that for the fifth that's uh you know that was a star making round uh, for him so he's a star and I think he's great for the sport great for the UFC. And he could be a, a multi-divisional, uh, a multi-division competitor. I'm not sold that he's going to be big enough to stop wrestlers, but at uh, light, at light heavyweight. But there's there's some fun fights for him at middleweight, uh, for certain. The problem with middleweight is, um, unlike some of the other weight classes, after you get out of the top five, it drops off pretty quickly. I agree, and middleweight's not generally known as a stacked division. It has been a pretty weak division back to the days of Anderson Silva ruling over it. But Adesanya really can put a lot of life into this division like Whitaker simply never could. Whitaker didn't quite have the personality. And outside of Australia and maybe New Zealand, he didn't quite have a following. Adesanya, as you said, he has that super fucking star potential. This guy could be huge. He could be every bit the name that Conor McGregor is. He might have a little bit less audacity than Conor. I I think Adesanya will be a little more careful about getting into public fights with the UFC brass. Um, but he's going to be a star, man. He already is to an extent. There's no doubt about it, but he's going to get bigger and bigger as more people get exposed to him on the mic, as most more people get to see his style, uh, the way that he knocks people out, the way that he throws exciting offense that you don't usually see. And his striking really is elite. It is at a different level. And I think it's something that Nogueira spoke about years ago. He said, you want to come into MMA having already really become an expert at one thing. And then you can build your game around that because in that one category, you are probably better than just about everyone else in your division. And you're probably going to beat everyone if you can keep it there. 
that's exactly what Israel Adesanya has been doing. He's improved fight over fight. It seems like just a couple of fights ago that he was getting taken down by Marvin Vittori, that he was actually getting pressured effectively and getting scored on by a guy like Vittori. And here we are a few fights later, just about a year later, and he is UFC middleweight champion, having breezed by everybody that he fought in the meantime. He, he looked more confident in this fight than he did against Anderson Silva. He did. He actually alluded a little bit to some mental stuff that he was going through leading up to that Kelvin Gastelum fight uh, in particular. I think the Anderson Silva fight was a little bit of a sparring match. But that Kelvin fight, he, he did look a lot more human than usual. And he spoke about the fact that he just wasn't having fun. There were things outside of the octagon that were keeping him from kind of being truly in the moment like he was uh, this past Saturday night. Yeah, it's uh, aside from the first couple of fights, it wasn't a it wasn't a great card, and I think we knew I think we knew that was going to be the case. Yeah, particularly fascinating. I don't know if you caught on to Adesanya getting on that fence, giving the middle fingers to Paulo Costa, and then yep. after the fight, Jones coming out and talking trash and trying to goad him to coming up to light heavyweight. John Jones seems hell bent on competing the rest of his career against middleweights. And this time, at least he's calling out the best middleweight in the world. I'll give him props for that after going to kind of a ho-hum and a split decision with a couple of mid-level middleweights who couldn't really get past that top 11, top 12. This time he's calling out the best middleweight and trying to goad him down. It's fascinating. Jones sent out a tweet talking about, you know, Adesanya talked about how he's going to wait until about 2021 to face Jones. Jones said that he can't wait for Israel to gain the confidence to come up and fight him until 2021 as he'll probably be at heavyweight by then. Hasn't he been waiting years to get his confidence together so he can move up to heavyweight, Nick? I don't know. Jones, you're barely getting through mediocre middleweights. Maybe don't like like the best one in the world is so far below your level that you'd be willing to come up to heavyweight to avoid him. Now, the beauty of the John Jones tweet, he replied to Francis Ngannou when making that, like, when you get the confidence to move up and wait statement. Is it just me or does John Jones sound like he has his confidence together already? Maybe you should fight Francis Ngannou next? That would be awesome. I'd be so excited to watch it. If there was one point about Adesanya I forgot to make, which is middleweight's changed so much in the last 18 months, right? There's no more Weidman. There's no more Rockhold. There's no more Anderson Silva. There's no more Michael Bisbing. To be honest, the guy who spent at middleweight the last couple of years that I think would have been uh, would be the toughest fight for Adesanya is GSP. I think if G- I, hear that. I think if GSP hadn't come back and taken the title from Bisping, that Adesanya is a guy where GSP. I think GSP's style is nightmare for Adesanya. I think he would look at those long, skinny legs, and it would be heaven for him. It'd be heaven for that double. Yeah, maybe if GSP can make this fight happen with Khabib, and if he can somehow pull off a victory, maybe the UFC will let them pull off another one of their champions. I just feel like for the UFC, it's that one night payday that you get from that GSP fight, and then you kind of lose in every other way because he ends up potentially beating your champion and then essentially retiring from the division and retiring that belt with him. Um, I, I would be pretty shocked if the UFC allowed it, but man, would I love to see it. You're right, it would be an interesting matchup. I'm not sure that GSP is down to fight heavy hitters, though. Just the impression I've been getting with the matchups that he's been kind of finagling for himself and asking for lately. He's down to fight an elite grappler. He's not down to fight a guy that has a high chance of knocking him out. Or I don't think Asanya is a heavy hitter. I think Adesanya, he he get. I mean, most everyone else that he's he's taken down, um, it's not. These aren't walk off KOs. Like they're they're you know he he gets people with volume. I'm not saying he doesn't hit hard, but Whitaker was like 
there was so there he was creating so much energy on his side of things that um and he was and he wasn't kind of getting out of the way as you said before he wasn't moving his head at all and uh he was throwing so hard he wasn't seeing shots coming but i don't th- i don't think israel Adesanya punches harder than michael bisping i think israel Adesanya can shut people off and michael bisping simply could not like israel Adesanya, you're right he doesn't hit heavy he doesn't have naturally very heavy hands what he does have is a lot of speed and a lot of snap in his punches and we and crazy don't forget don't forget crazy week. angles some of those some of the shots that he hit uh Whitaker with like there's you know he's leaning he's leaning back his arms coming from almost like submarine style I think like, maybe I I'm glad you mentioned that lean back because I think maybe that's the reason that Whitaker felt confident really staying in the pocket is because Adesanya seemed like he was so off balance he was leaning back like Anderson Silva was when he got knocked out by Chris Weidman and it was that kind of off-balance position that should leave you susceptible to a knockout. But Adesanya somehow was able to keep his head just barely far back enough. He was able to counter that off-balance thing by taking short, short, tiny steps back as he was in that position, as he was throwing punches. Yep. And I think that's what gave Whitaker a lot of confidence to stay in the pocket. And that's exactly what was kind of his undoing. What do they say in boxing? But, Watch the waist, not the head, right? Yeah, and you know what? Again, another great point you're making – as Adesanya is leaning back, as Anderson Silva does that lean back thing, his body and his legs, they can't really move out of the way. They can't really do anything about getting hit. And Whitaker, instead of actually mixing it up and going to the legs and going to the body, I'm not a big fan of leg attacks unless you're going to that low leg calf kick. So going to the body in that situation would have been so much more effective on top of the fact that you could have invested those body shots early and gotten Adesanya possibly tired later in the fight. Whitaker's offense was limited he was overconfident in that pocket, and unfortunately it cost him. I think he was under the impression that he's an elite striker. I do think he's a great striker. I really do. I just feel like he put too much confidence in it. And let's face it, the last guy to knock out Robert Whitaker, the last guy to beat him before this nine-fight win streak, was Stephen Thompson. And Stephen Thompson doesn't have a terribly different style from Adesanya. He's a counterpuncher. If you're going to wade in with that left looping hook and you're going to miss, he's going to take advantage of it and pop you. That's exactly what he did to Ritiker. Yeah. And unfortunately, that same kind of thing followed him up at uh, into middleweight. And it, and it took for him to win the title and to defend it a couple times to get to this point before somebody really calls him on it. But yeah, that I do think Israel Adesanya is a bad style matchup for Robert Whitaker. I think Whitaker has a shot, but not a very good one against Adesanya with the right game plan. Well, you had the picks, man. You had the picks last week. Again, not in two non... It's both of the fights were non-competitive that you picked over me, even though the picks were very difficult picks for you to make. They were very difficult picks for me to make. Certainly the main event was more difficult than that co-main event, but man, did Daniel Hooker look fucking good, man. That entire city kickboxing team looked spectacular in Australia, in essentially enemy territory, at least in that case, and boy, did they all come through. Hooker is now cementing himself as a top five lightweight. If you're not going to give too much credence to that loss that he had to Edson Barboza, I think that was a terrible style matchup for him. And I think tactically he chose to do a lot of stupid things in that fight. If he can avoid specifically Edson, I think he can make it up to a title shot. Um, he'll probably get roughed up by Khabib, but boy, is he fucking dangerous, man. I'll tell you what, that was that that was a boring fight because Al, I don't know what... I don't know if Cerrone took a piece of Al's soul. I don't know if he's excited for it. He seemed listless in there. I mean, he also, I've never thought of Ally Quinta as a small lightweight. He looked a weight class down from Hooker, which is crazy when you think that Hooker fought at 145, right? 
Yeah, not, not only that, but you're right. Hooker's really filling out. I think Hooker's going to make most lightweights look small, and I think he has in the last few bouts. And Al, 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 Al Iquita, who I thought looked really terrific against Kevin Lee and has looked good in other fights and held his own against Khabib, coming in with no specific prep for that. Um, just, I'm, I'm a big Al Iquita fan, and he, you know, he did not look like a top 10 lightweight in that fight. He did, he, he, he had, I mean, he did, at least in the he he fought back in the Cerrone fight like he was he never stopped trying to win that fight and he landed you know he cleaned Cerrone's clock a couple of times he didn't land anything of of significance really against Hooker a couple of shots maybe um so yeah big disappointment there big win for Hooker if you look at Iaquinta's record Nick I mean it doesn't look so good in retrospect man at this point he's got his last few wins are over Kevin Lee who's on a three or four fight losing streak now Diego Sanchez, who's truly at the tail end of his career. George Masvidal, and most people thought that he didn't deserve that decision. And Masvidal obviously is doing very well now. So just having that victory is nice. But most people don't agree with the decision on that one. Joe Lazan and Ross Pearson before that. I mean, he really did get a bit of a tour of the older guys in the division. And he got away with a win over George Masvidal that he probably didn't deserve. I mean, since then, let's face it. Khabib, Donald, and Dan Hooker, the only guys in the current top 10 um he just couldn't quite cut it against i'm not sure if kevin lee was ranked in the top 10 but he was already a couple of losses into his losing streak when he lost to iaquinta i think part of it is iaquinta's injuries the fact that he hasn't really advanced his game and i think this seems to be a common thing among among the ray longo matt Serra fighters uh, same thing with chris weidman he hasn't necessarily evolved past the point that made him successful to begin with neither of these guys are particularly fast they don't particularly have very good footwork and I'm not sure they have a whole lot of power. And and tactically, it seems like they're sometimes not going in there and doing the right things. It seemed like Iaquinta needed to pressure Dan Hooker like he needed to pressure Donald Cerrone. He couldn't do it in either. It's just not in his nature. And those guys, you know, roughed him up. Particularly, I mean, Donald Cerrone obviously roughed him up toward the end of the fight. Dan Hooker just had full control throughout the bout. It just it was just so one-sided. It was so disappointing to watch, man. Because like you said, I am also a fan of Al Iaquinta. I would I would stand to guess that he's maybe got another fight, and I wouldn't be surprised if he retires. I'm hoping his real estate career is going well because it seems like his MMA career is at the very tail end, man. It's unfortunate. Well, he's got the gift of gab. He can always do a podcast. I don't know how he'll get the listenership that we have, but I, I would tune in. You mean our dozens and dozens of listeners, Nick? We have millions of listeners. I don't know what you're talking about. And ad rates, we're going to start doing ads soon, uh, $1,000 a read. Oh, I li- I'm into this. We're just going to yeah. put a paywall in between our dozens and dozens of millions <laughs> and, and, and and our voices. Nick, I, I think it's worth it. I think we're worth dozens of dollars from our dozens and dozens of millions. So of are fans. we <laughs> – so, okay, so the rest of this card, Australian card, there was – that was there's not honestly that much to talk about. Taite Avusa fought – idiotically man um i mean talk about having the hometown crowd he just i think he thought he had a gimme fight in it everybody everyone thought he had a gimme fight except except for spivak no Um, joke man spivak really came through and uh then there was that that riddle uh riddle against malarkey fight was that was that's the kind of fight that gets people into the sport that was i don't know if they won fight of the night but they sure they certainly should have um they did yeah but not not loads of other of other stuff going on. Megan Anderson got her win. Anything else you think is worth mentioning? Or are we going to get into UFC on ESPN Plus 19? I do want to quickly mention Jorgen DeCastro, who fought 
Justin oh. Taffa. <laughs> yeah, and that was man. That that was just an insane first round knockout. De Castro maximized his UFC debut, opening a big pay per view main card with one of the best knockouts of the year. Endeared himself to the crowd as his hometown opponent lay twitching on the floor. Gave a great octagon interview in which he mentioned wanting to fight more because he wants to change his family's life, and then he won the 50k knockout bonus rightfully. The guy. Looked so good. From my understanding, he scouted that specific counterpunch against Justin Taffa. And it did look like he was doing a lot of the right things. Not a whole lot of heavyweight prospects coming through who have this kind of myriad of components to them. So I'm excited to see DeCastro compete again. I hope the UFC treats him like a prospect for the next couple of bouts so that he can truly develop his game. But 6-0 and now, training with a pretty solid team. The guy has real, real potential. He hasn't even busted out his serious leg kick game in this fight that he's going to get to show off, I think, in his next one. Yeah, I was waiting for that after you mentioned it, and then he didn't throw, he didn't throw a kick, and I thought he was going to get flattened, and then he, he hit that chart. Toffa was, was charging in a little bit, but, man, he... Yeah. Oof, what a, what a shot. So... We're doing a new a new system. Partially, uh, it's a mer- the mercy rule is in effect since after my st- my sterling, remarkable uh, five or six month run, Stan has been whipping me like the proverbial redheaded stepchild. No offense to the <laughs> no, no offense to our redheaded stepchildren listeners. Um, There's got to be one or two in the dozens, right? Possibly. We probably probably separately. We probably have stepchildren and redheads, but I don't know if we've got. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, so we're going to try a different format. We're going to hear you guys out and see if you dozens like it or not, and you guys can let us know. So the idea here is that we're going to have kind of a little bit of a draft system. Each of us is going to pick a fighter. We're going to take turns picking a fighter that we feel is likely to win, and we're going to go all the way down to down the line until all of the fights are picked. We're going to explain our picks, see if the other person agrees or disagrees. So the way it works is, for example, as my first pick, I might pick Israel Adesanya from last week, and then Nick might pick Dan Hooker. And so we keep picking from there, and Israel won, and I would have gotten a point, and Dan Hooker won, and Nick would have gotten a point for that. Right. We're just going to make seven picks, and we're going to see how this thing works out. We're going to see if this is interesting, entertaining, if this kind of speeds things up, but also lets us break the fights down for you guys. We're excited to introduce it. The fights that you listed were in order, though. We don't have to do in order. For example, Absolutely if not. you wanted to yeah. pick the James Vick Nico Price as, as your first pick because you think that's the one that you've got the most, you feel the most confident about, you can name that first. Yes. So even though the example you gave Absolutely. was in sequence, it was kind of a it was kind of a poor example for our listeners. God damn it, Nick! Not <laughs> on air. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. It doesn't have to be in order whatsoever. You can pick whichever fight on the card that you want. It could be the first fight of the night, the last fight of the night. And at the end of it, we're going to probably each try to avoid the fights that we're both not sure about. And we're going to end up uh, with that redheaded stepchild of a last pick or two, in which we're really going to have to kind of squint our eyes, flip a coin, and, and make a choice. This should be interesting. You know, you really shouldn't. It's really dangerous for you to talk about Paul Felder that way. Oh, I see. I see what you did He's there. Gonna... I, I see what you did. You know what? I'm I'm not afraid of Paul Felder. He's such a nice guy, and also he fights at 155. But he is about six feet tall, so he's not a whole lot smaller. Yeah, than I will him. buy him. I will. He's a dangerous man. I will buy him the step stool so he can hit you. <laughs> you know what, Nick? If you know the guy, uh, set it up. I'd love to get a sparring sesh going. You know what I'm saying? I hear you. I'm down, Nick. You can record that shit. All right. Talk about it. Later. Little break. Then we're gonna do UFC and ESPN night. ESPN plus 19. I was like 19 plus. God, this is the most (laughs) awkward network names in the world. We'll be right back.
And we are back to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Nick, we're going to try this new draft system. We actually flipped the coin before the show, and you get to make the first pick. Nikolai, the floor is yours. All right. My first pick is going to be the returning, newly uh, new to motherhood, Mackenzie Dern over Amanda Rebus. Um, Mackenzie Dern is dropping babies and taking arms. So I think that this is uh, as close. I think they, I think Mackenzie Dern's going to be a UFC star. I think she's a great talent, and I think they like her a lot. She's good looking. She's charismatic. Um, she's up for anything in a fight if she can continue to um, to make weight. I don't think she. I think she's too small to go up a weight class. Um, and I, when I look at Amanda Rivas, most of her wins um, are submissions. She doesn't have. I just don't feel like she's uh, the same pedigree of a fighter and coming back from having the kid. I think they're giving her something of a gimme fight here. I'll be very surprised if Mackenzie Dern does not win by submission in the first or second round. Yeah, I actually expect Dern to win by decision, but I do agree with you on the Dern pick. I probably wouldn't have had her quite as high just because she's literally four months removed from giving birth Nick like, through her bajayjay, a human came out four months ago, Nick, and here she is in an MMA fight. Uh, I agree with you. The style matchup, I think, favors Dern. It also seems like Dern is in incredible shape. Like, just following her Instagram and, and keeping an eye on her, uh, like, she's four months after giving birth. She's in as good a shape as, as anyone could be. She's looks like she's in way better shape than before she ever got pregnant. Amanda Rebus, you're right. She tends to go for takedowns. So I'm on the same page on the pick with you. I'm just a little bit surprised that you had her at the very first. I would have had her just slightly lower. I feel like it's the bi- I feel like it's the big the one of the biggest gimmies on the card. Oh, fair enough. So in that case, by the way, very very close odds. Uh, I'm assuming you're going to recommend a serious bet down at minus one forty. Yeah, uh, no, I, absolutely. I thought the I thought the odds were uh, much closer than they should be. Awesome. I, I believe American Top Team actually speaks really highly of Amanda Rebus. But again, I don't think she's that dynamic on the floor, uh, on the feet. I think Mackenzie Dern is going to be able to take her down if Rebus was taken down by some of her opposition thus far. And Rebus really does rely on the takedown to win fights. I do think Amanda Rebus being a black belt herself should probably survive to a decision, but Dern looks in shape, so you might be right with that first round submission. My first pick, Nick, is going to be drum roll, please. Joanna Yen Jacek. Ah, she's going up. That was my. That was gonna, Michelle. Waterson. That was going to be my. Was that your second That was one? my second pick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so we so we had him placed in a, in a similar spot. Look, I think in a five round fight, she has a pretty good edge over Michelle Waterson. And Waterson, her highest chance is probably to keep her at bay with the kicks. I don't think she can exchange punches with her. I think the pressure of Yen Jacek is eventually going to get to Waterson. Yen Jacek might be a slow starter. And Watterson may be able to take advantage of that and, and win that first, possibly second round. But I expect Joanna to keep pushing, come through, and and keep winning rounds until she gets that five-rounder. Even late in her last fight against uh, Valentina Shevchenko, she was looking pretty good, looking pretty fresh in that five-rounder and doing well against a much bigger uh, fighter. I expect Jan Jacek to pick up a victory here, Nick. Yeah, I, uh, I do too. I just... Her takedown defense is so good, and like she's had plenty of time to uh, to drill and figure out not to get not to fall prey to that headlock kind of judo takedown. Um, so as oh, long man. as as long as she avoids that, I I'm a big uh, karate hottie fan. I just think that um, you know Joanna Champion does punches and bunches like no one else. 
Yeah, I'm there with you. Definitely there with you. And, and you're right. It seems like Michelle Waterson's really good at that takedown that only works for women and for Spivak, who fought last week uh, at heavyweight. Naturally, heavyweight <laughs> would be the only other place where that takedown might work. Right. Um, what's your next pick, Nikolai? My next pick. I'm curious how you're going to feel about this. This might be. I may have this one way too high up, but I'm going to pick Marvin Vittori over El Durte Andrew Sanchez. Not unreasonable at all. Tell I me like. Why. A, I I just I feel. I feel Vittori still showed me a lot when he when he went to the split decision against Israel Adesanya. Um, I just think he's a winner. I like I like his look. Um, I think he's got. I think he's well rounded. I think he's got good skills. And and I, for me, Andrew Sanchez is is. I gotta look and see how many decisions he's won. He just. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like Andrew Sanchez is one of those guys that kind of fights up or down. I don't think he's got a good style for winning decisions. I guess is what I'll say. I mean, his, yeah, la- his, la- his last two, his last two fights, he won decisions, but they were not against. Uh, they were it was against a guy without a Wikipedia page, Mark Andre Barout and uh, Marcus Perez. Um, you know, I and he did win a decision against Cleo Roundtree, but that was like Cleo Roundtree three years ago. True, and Cleo Roundtree, as we're seeing more and more, is not that great a fighter, even though he had one really nasty performance and a couple of quick knockouts. I agree with you on the pick. That was actually going to be my next pick as well, even though I do think Andrew Sanchez has a lot of the tools, a lot of the skills that he would need to beat Vittori. I'm concerned about the fact that he pulled out. They were scheduled to fight a couple of weeks ago, and he had to pull out last minute. I'm not sure what the reason for that was at the moment, but I'm, I have concerns there. I, I don't know if it was anxiety or if it was something legitimate. Outside of that, I do think Andrew Sanchez has skills that could do well against Vittori late. The problem is that Andrew Sanchez gets even more tired than Vittori does. Vittori gets tired and he slows down, but when he throws punches, he still throws them at 100%. And when Andrew Sanchez throws punches in the third round, he throws them at about 30% because he's pretty tired and he's just trying to show that he has some energy left. So uh, I'm in agreement with you there. I think it'll be a little bit closer than the odds suggest, especially early on. But I've got Vittori there all the way. My next pick, Nick. Wait, 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 wait. Slow down, slow down. Wait, can you hear me? Wait a second. I also want to point out that I picked an Italian fighter finally. (laughs) <laughs> oh, wow. That is fucking something else. Like, you haven't picked an Italian fighter in six or seven events. And I think that's worked out for you for the most part, actually. <laughs> yeah, because they um, suck. But, yeah, but I think this time you're really relying on an Italian it. fighter, your second pick of the night, Nick. Uh, you're, you're giving a lot of credit to Vittori here. Well, you were going to make him your second pick, so. Oh, 100%. I, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. Next up, I'm going to pick the debuting Miguel Baeza. Because I've seen some tape on the guy, and he's fighting Hector Aldana, who's also a heavy hitter. Miguel himself is a heavy hitter. He's a pretty tall guy. For the division, Nick, he's got a two or three inch uh, height advantage over his more UFC tested opponent. I like what the kid brings, man. It seems like just about every strike, every right hand, every knee can hurt his opponent. I know he's making his UFC debut, but he's doing it against a four and two opponent who's looked pretty mediocre if he can't get a first round knockout in Hector Aldana. So I like Miguel the Caramel Thunder Baeza. What a fucking nickname. You know what? That nickname just makes me feel even better about him being my second pick, Nick. I've got him over Aldana. Funny, he would have been my next pick. Uh, I have ju- I had just before that same fight for the same reasons. And Aldana, I think, is on a three fight skid. If I'm if I remember correctly, I had actually picked before then. I think um, based on the competition that he's faced and uh, his opponent's um, propensity to fight like a completely insane person, I'm going to pick uh, Luis Pena over Matt Frivola. Oh, I like it. This is a rare case. I had this fight at number ten. Wow. Uh, out of out of I think is it fourteen? Out of four. Out of four. Out of fourteen fights. Like yeah. 
Yeah, I, I had a number number ten neck because I actually favor Frivola just hmm. his continuous nonstop offense. The fact that he goes for a lot of takedowns and usually gets them, and the fact that Pena gives up plenty of takedowns. He does. Pena is way less dangerous than Frivola's last opponent, um, and very similar height. Frivola's six feet tall, so oh, I'm sorry, Frivola Frivola is only like five five eight or five nine, I believe, but. Again, his last opponent was significantly taller. So I, I favor the steamroller in that one. Glad you made this pick this early for that reason, man. What's uh okay, interesting. What do you got uh, what do you got next? I've got Davidson Figueredo. Now, I do think this is actually a really Ooh. risky style matchup for Davidson Figueredo. I think Tim Elliott can get takedowns against Figueredo at least early. But I, I'm hoping that Figueredo takes advantage of the fact that Tim Elliott's been out for two years. Even though he's a really good takedown guy, things seem to kind of unboil for him as a fight goes on if he's facing a high-level opponent. And I'm hoping that Figueredo, just his, his just hunting style, uh, intimidates a more tired Elliott and hopefully leads to an eventual finish. I realize that Elliott's a live dog here at plus 160, but I've got Figueredo as my third pick. Uh, I had that a little bit further down. It's like three picks away. Uh, of overall, overall for me, but I actually was picking Tim Elliott in this fight. <coughs> oh, like I like. But, it. Um, but the next fight down I had on the list is uh, I like JJ Aldridge over Lauren Mueller. I liked the way that Aldridge looked a lot in her last fight against Macy Barber, even though she lost. Um, she really brought it, and she was getting the better of the 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 young, highly touted rookie on the feet. I just think Aldridge is a, is a tough son of a bitch, man. Her daughter, whatever or whatever the, the phrase would be. I think she's a badass, and I think that she's... Um, I know Lauren Mueller, I think, has some length over her, but I uh, I think that Aldridge is going to get in there and, dirt, and dirty box her face off. Yeah, um, I, I do agree on the pick. I had a, quite a bit further down because Lauren Mueller, surprisingly, as I watched tape on her, she's, like, pretty solid. She's pretty good. She didn't look all that good in her last fight because her very last opponent was really dangerous. Hold on a second. I've got it here. She fought, oh, Pollyanna Botelio. And she did lose that decision to, uh, lose that lose by armbar to Yana and Wu. I just think standing up, she's pretty solid. J.J. Aldridge would probably go for takedowns. But I do have a concern about J.J. Aldridge getting tired as the fight wears, as she did against Macy Barber. It just seemed like Aldridge was in complete control of the first round, knocked her down even. And then in the second round, Macy Barber started coming back, and at least part of that was because Aldridge was slowing down a little bit. So I do have some concerns there, but I, I agree with you on the pick there. Aldridge is a solid prospect, and I saw that Barber fight as a prospect versus prospect bout, even though most people saw it big time in favor uh, for Barber. My very next pick, Nikolai, is going to be Cron Gracie over Cub Swanson. Call me crazy. I know Cub Swanson has every goddamn skill advantage except for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu over Cron Gracie. Maybe even a wrestling advantage is possible. But I do like that Cron Gracie trains with guys that are a similar length with the Diaz brothers. I like that Cron Gracie is legendary for just having insane conditioning, insane cardio. Again, like the Diaz brothers. He's got a serious advantage on the ground. Cub Swanson's been submitted a few times. So I like Gracie to pick up a submission victory here as Swanson probably makes a swan song. Uh, out of the UFC. That was going to be my next pick. Uh, and I was also picking Crone Gracie for the same reasons. So we'll have to pivot a little bit and take the former, uh, I guess, NFL guy um, and bring her a violence, Eric Anders, over Gerald Mearshot. I think Anders' last fight, which was against Venetius Maria, I mean, he had those three fights of Tiago Santos and then a weird fight with Elias Theodoro. And then he got um, 
He took a lot of damage, but was tough against Khalil Roundtree. He also fought Lyoto Mashida. I mean, he's he's been against a a, a murderer's row, and but I think I think this is a fight where he's going to land his shots with power. Um, you know, you don't think of him as a uh, as a guy who's necessarily going to have a great sub game uh, sub game or sub defense because he's so new um, to the sport, relatively speaking. But he's never been submitted. Um, so I don't think, I don't think he's uh, in huge danger of that. I, uh, yeah, I, I think he's going to land his shots. I think Anders is going to uh, bring some violence over Mearshart. I like the pick, Nick. Hard to disagree with you there. My next pick, Nikolai, is going to be Marlon Vera. I do realize that Andre Ewell has a pretty good shot at winning the fight because of his, for his stand-up. The fact that he's got a significant amount of height and reach over Vera, who usually has that advantage over most of his bantamweight opponents, I like Vera to finish him here in the second or third round after maybe having a little bit of a tough go in the first round, even though I see Ewell as a potential live dog. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I, I like Ewell. That was this was actually my last pick. I made the same pick, but I was of all the fights on the card, the least confident about it because I, I like Marlon Vera a lot. I just think uh, I think Ewell. You know, I think it could be a very competitive fight if it goes the distance. Um, I could see it going either way. Um, but yeah, I was also picking, I also, you know, pick Farah. There's several fights towards the bottom where I'm pretty sure it could go either way. Um, one of those would be my, would be my next pick, which is, uh, Max Griffin over Alex Murano. Uh, Max Griffin doesn't have the greatest fight IQ, but I feel like he's got the experience, the toughness and is more, just has more, more diverse attacks and is, uh, a little bit quicker in there than Alex Murano. What do you think? I actually disagree with this pick as well, and maybe it's because I'm a bit of an Alex Morano homer. I, I like them all the Ultimate Fighter. I thought that he's looked pretty good overall in the UFC, um, depending on who he's fought. And I just feel like Max Griffin, like his chin isn't great. He can get taken down, uh, and also he can go for takedowns. I think him, Max Griffin getting takedowns is probably his best way to win the fight because Morano is pretty good on the feet and throws pretty winging shots, bending back kicks, etc. I think he's got a Taekwondo black belt or something. Um, I disagree on the pick, but I do see it as a pick em fight, and, and it could go either way. I will be rooting for Morono, though, for sure. So I'm glad I'm glad you picked Griffin, and I'm glad I left that fight uh, for later, assuming that you were going to pick Griffin. That one worked out. Next up, I have got uh, Mike Beast Boy Davis, who, Nick, only took this fight on four days' notice against Thomas the Lion, the Young Lion Gifford. Um, Davis is only an inch shorter than his opponent, and he actually was getting ready for a fight uh, earlier, I believe, uh, last month he was he was scheduled, and he pulled out. He went out to Tiger Muay Thai and has been doing some training there. And I don't know if you know how they train there, man. It's like balls to the wall, nonstop, whether you have a fight coming up or not. So I expect that he should be in decent shape at least. I hope he didn't just barely fly in for the fight. I, I hope he was in the States leading up to this event. But I've got the Beast Boy here because I think he's going to have the athleticism and power advantage. I'm a little bit concerned about Thomas Gifford's ground game, if he can get takedowns on Mike Davis, he can potentially score a submission or, or score some serious points there, and that's probably the liability. But I like Mike Davis here, even though he took the fight on four days' notice. Yeah, this is my this is my second to last one, but I also I also had Davis. Um, the uh, my next pick is a guy I like a lot, uh, Ryan Spawn, uh, to take on uh, and to beat uh, Devin Clark. Um, Spawn's last fight was. Hang on, as you hear me Wikipediaing around, this is what happens when you don't when you don't have quite enough time to put uh, to do you do your picks, but you don't 
Um, right. You, you, you don't, don't get, have them in order. You don't get. Is, right? You don't get your notes together. Yeah. It's uh, yes, hang on, old tap out tapology. He, he just knocked out Nogueira in his last fight. Oh, that's right. Oh, that was uh, that. Thank you for reminding me. That was, th- yeah, that was a massacre. That was a fight that I think we argued on the show shouldn't. We not with each other. We argued in generally that, that fight probably shouldn't uh, have happened. Yeah, we made that argument. I agree. You know, he did lose that fifteen second in a fifteen second fight two years ago to Carl Robertson, who threw the same exact kind of elbows that he um, pretty much knocked Glover Teixeira out with, and then woke him back up with. That's right. But he hasn't had an, right. he hasn't had another loss. Um, that was in DW's uh, Contender Series in twenty seventeen, and since then, uh, you know, two fights in the UFC and uh, two or three other fights outside against guys with pretty good records, 10 and 4, 16 and 6, 10 and 4, and then against Nagara. He just, I don't know, to me, he just looks like a fast, nasty, physical beast. You know, 6'5", 81 and a half inch reach. He's fast and mean, man, uh, out of Beaumont, Texas. Um, I think that uh, I think he's going to run through Devin Clark. Uh, this was actually my very last pick on the card because – Ryan Spann, I like him for all of his upsides. I like him for his size. The guy's 6'5 at 205 pounds. He's got a significant reach advantage over just about every opponent at 81.5 inches, Nick. That is huge. I think that's right in that John Jones territory. However, Devin Clark has excellent wrestling, and Ryan Spann gave up four takedowns in the fight before that Nogueira fight to Luis Enrique in his UFC debut. And he was beating up Enrique on the feet, Nick. And Enrique was getting more and more tired as the fight wore on. But he still got takedowns in every single round. And Devin Clark's like a really, really good wrestler. And he seems to be more comfortable just grinding and fighting through shit. He actually looked somewhat decent even in his loss against Alexander Rakic, who everybody considers to be a super, super high prospect. He's a he baller. knocked him down yep. and roughed him up a little bit. He also beat Mike Rodriguez, who... On paper, is very similar to Ryan Spann, a big 205-pounder with serious power in his hands. He was able to take down Mike Rodriguez at will. I think he'll be able to take down Ryan Spann at will. The question is, can Spann knock him out in those in-between moments where they are on the feet? Because I do think Spann will be getting up plenty of times here. Can Spann tag that kind of mediocre chin of Devin Clark is really the question. I'm going to give credence to Devin Clark here, who looked pretty good against arguably the best prospect at 205 before he got knocked out. So I'm glad you made the pick. For the last pick, Nikolai, the last matchup on our list is James Vick versus Nico Price. It's James Vick's experience, his length, his size advantage, his technique advantage over Nico Price versus Nico Price's just sheer power. The thing is, James Vick is coming up from 155 pounds to 170. I think a lot of us have been waiting on him to do that for a long time. The problem is he's doing it against a fairly big 170-pounder who hits incredibly hard. And James Vick was knocked out just a few months ago. I'm going with Nico Price here, my final pick, Nick. Even though I can see how, again, James is the more technical fighter. I think if James Vick is smart, he'll go for takedowns. He could get takedowns here and and win the fight that way. But I'm going to go with the guy with the heavy power uh, to win over the guy with the pretty shitty chin. Cool. I had the I had this. That was a very tough one for me to call. And I also picked Price. Um, I'm curious to see. I just honestly, the, the, I was ready to pick Vic, and you know what fight I kept thinking of? Dan Hooker fight. No, the fight that changed my mind was Rockhold Jan Blankovic. That was the fight that that made me be like, made me give it the price. You're dealing, you're dealing with a a, ch, a chinny guy who mo- who puts on the extra pounds and moves up, fighting a, fighting a hitter, 
and Nico Price only has to, f- you know, it's not like that technique is going to change. Like Vic, Vic has not learned how to not leave his chin hanging out. And I don't think like putting on weighing 25 extra pounds or whatever on, on fight night isn't going to change that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I do have a little bit of concern about the fact that Price isn't necessarily a pressure fighter. He's the kind of guy that will exchange the hell with you when he needs to, right? If you're throwing at him, he will throw bombs and he will keep throwing him even after you're done throwing. But I'm not sure if he's the type to just pressure purely forward and push you back and try to finish it that way. I hope he does that in this matchup because I think that's his way to win here. Same page on that pick. So we each have our set seven picks here, Nick. You had Dern, Vittori, Pena, Aldridge, Anders, Griffin, and Span in that order. I had Janjacek, Baeza, that, that guy making his UFC debut, Figueredo, Gracie, Vera, Davis, and Price in that order. This should be fascinating, Nick. It's really up in the air, and I think it's particularly interesting to know the fights that we disagreed on. Maybe we'll kind of make notes of those and see how we would have done in our old version of the competition, just out of curiosity. But we got a new system now. We're going to see how it goes. We'll be right back, folks. And we are back, Nick, with the MMA Geeks betting guide. We're going to talk to you guys about my recommendations for last week. I didn't have a bad night. I didn't have a good night. I evened out. I actually lost $1 on this event, Nick. I recommended $50 on Adesanya. I was pretty confident in him. Won $45 on that one. I recommended $50 on Riddle, his uh, training partner, at minus $150. Won $33 on that one. Uh, I did lose 10 bucks on Dos Santos, the Megan Anderson matchup. I just thought they were both long strikers, and I could have gone either way considering the odds. I lost 20 bucks on Bruno Silva in that first fight of the night. He got submitted by Taha. And I also lost the Tuvasa and Matthews parlay. I bet $50 on that. So I won $79. I lost $80. Basically evened out. I'm not going to complain. It could have been worse, and it could have been better. Tuivasa really killed me. I expected him to whoop on Spivak. Unfortunately, that did not work out. I'm sure he had a worse night than I did, though, so I will take it. Nick, what do you have for our listeners for this UFC coming up next week? Let's see. I like... uh, Let's go with the Jiu-Jitsu Master Parlay. I'm going to go with Gracie and Mackenzie Dern. Um, I also like a... uh, I like it. With a a $50 bet. I also like a $25 straight bet on Dern. Um, Looking over other fights and, and taking another quick gander at the odds. I think Nico Price at minus 140 is not quite uh, not quite where you want them. I think it's worth, uh, I would do a $15 bet on underdog uh, Tim Elliott. I do think that his, here's, we, we've seen f- fights recently where Devson uh, Figueredo against um, Jushin Formiga, if I recall, uh, was, was kept down. I think I think Elliott's going to come in and, and wrestle him with excellence. I don't feel like Figueredo uh, has a great answer. He's not a great plan B guy, um, and he's not doesn't have, I don't think, a terrific fight IQ. Um, Elliott gets, can get a little carried away. It's almost like he has too many ideas in there, but if he can stick to his, if he can stick to his wrestling and stay on him uh, like glue, if he can kind of Gregor Gillespie him a little bit, and I think that, I mean, not that he's that level of wrestler, but I think Elliot can wrestle that style against this guy, um, he'd be a good bet. I'm there with you on that Gracie Dern parlay. I'm actually going to recommend that specific parlay as well. 
Uh, but first, I've got some straight bets. I recommend a straight bet on Frivola over Pena. 35 bucks to win $49. Not a whole lot to risk to win 50 bucks, if you ask me. And I think Frivola is going to get some takedowns in this one and, and hopefully outscore Pena. I've got $30 on Clark to beat Span. Span gave up so many takedowns in his UFC debut. I just feel like Clark up plus 130 is a decent risk to take. 30 bucks on him to win 39. I've got same bet as you actually, uh, 19 bucks on Tim Elliott at plus 160. 19 bucks will win you 30 if he can get it done against Figueredo, if he can get consistent takedowns. And I've got a straight bet on Morono, who I expect to beat Max Griffin at plus 130. $31 to win 40 on Morono. I have some parlays. First, I've got that UFC debutante, Baeza and Joanna Jacek. Combined odds on those two big favorites is minus 102, basically even, which is great. 50 bucks to win 49 on that one. I've also got a parlay on Aldridge and Vittori, plus 119, $42 to win $50 on that one. Another parlay is Dern and Gracie. I recommend putting 40 bucks on the two of them, and I believe that will net you... That'll net you somewhere in the $70 range. I actually don't have that math in front of me, unfortunately. But Dern and Gracie combined odds is plus 182, which is pretty solid for a couple of jujitsu whizzes who I expect to do well. I do have a couple of hedges. I recommend a $20 bet on Andrew Sanchez, a plus 245, in case that uh, parlay uh, with Vittori doesn't work out. And I recommend a $10 bet on Watterson, a plus 245. She has a chance to outkick her at a distance. Maybe Joanna is just not where she used to be mentally, even though I doubt that. So I figured 10 bucks to win 25 isn't a bad deal, especially if it's going to ruin one of my parlays, kind of soften the blow, worst case scenario. That will be it for my bets this week, Nick. Uh, pretty goddamn interesting week in MMA, and we've got, I'm sure, some very interesting things coming up. Nick, I will say this card is very bottom-heavy, which is the opposite of UFC 243, which really only had those top two fights, which were really worth the billing. A lot of really solid cards in the prelims. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. There's something that I realized we forgot to talk about, though, um, which which is the fact that the Karate Hadi Joanna champion fight is um, is sort of may not happen. That that's have you been following this at all? Um, or like, okay, so the rumor is that two weeks ago, Joanna Champion said, "Listen, I want to fight in Tampa, but I'm not going to make weight." And so they went to Waterson, and Waterson said, "I will not fight her at a catch weight." Um, in which case they, uh, I believe offered Joanna champion or I offered, I'm sorry, offered Watterson the two other, um, straw weight, uh, fighters on the card. And she said, no, she said no to both of them. Then they can, they played around with bringing Angela Hill back double quick since she fought like two weeks ago and fighting Joanna champion, uh, at a catch weight. Now what's what's been going on the last couple days is with Watterson not willing to um, agree to catchweight rules, which is her prerogative. Joanna Champion said she's just going to figure it out and do it and make weight. So we'll see what happens. Apparently she had a good workout this morning and dropped some weight, and she's been tweeting out that she's that everyone's blowing it out of proportion, that she's not worried. But rumors were that you know UFC was looking to. Uh, you know, do a little bit of, of juggling, and there were lots of potential um, changes. But after seeing the kind of thing that's happened to, like, a fighter like Roxy Mataferi, who um, has lost three fights, you know, lost to Maya, uh, Eubanks, 
Maya and Eubanks, um, who didn't make weight, and probably another fighter who didn't make weight in there at some point. Uh, this is Waterson's biggest fight. It's her one, you know, it's a championship eliminator, essentially. And if she wins, if Waterson wins this fight, she'll get a shot at uh, Valentina Shevchenko. And, uh, you know, she's not willing to let Joanna come in heavy and, and have that weight impact the fight. I mean, and I don't blame her, even though she, she's much more muscled now than she was in Invicta. Karate Hottie is an atom weight. She's like she's she's become a jacked, very muscly um, straw weight. But she could, you know, I don't think that she had a problem making one hundred and five. Yeah, I don't think she had a problem making that weight, and she has gained some weight since. Actually, I haven't heard anything about this. I think if Joanna just kept her mouth shut and failed to make weight the day before the fight, I think. Waterson would have taken the fight. Well, I think I, I actually I actually respect jo- Joanna did it out of respect for the UFC and probably for her competitor. Where who knows what's going on with her? If there's a medical thing or 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 she couldn't put in the road work. I have no idea what the cause was. If if I wouldn't be if surprised this is all if true, Joanna's injured if that's the case. She could be injured. She remember she also fought her last fight at 125, like that's um, right. so, which was a while ago. But who knows? Who knows what's going on? But the fact that she gave them a heads up. And the opportunity to negotiate and figure things out, I think, is the move of a, of a, a consummate professional. They're both being very professional. The only other strawweight fighters are essentially who are the other strawweight fighters on that card? Is Aldridge at one fifteen? Yes, or yeah, yeah, yeah. No, those, I believe that's the one fifteen fight. That's one of them, and the other one would be uh, I think Mackenzie Dern is a strawweight. Yeah, so... Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, Mackenzie Dern, Amanda Reba. So she didn't want to fit either of them. They're both ranked way, way below her. That's all risk, no that reward. That is very... Yeah, you know, this is very is the, interesting. This is... This is... To, you know, she's at the tail... She's at the tail end of her career. Uh, and she's a mom. And, like, it's her... It, I think I think she's well within her rights to, um, you know, fight someone who comes in at weight or agree to, you know, a reasonable opponent, not an unranked one. Yeah, I, I guess so. I, I hope the fight happens, man. Don't get me wrong. The, the card is pretty solid without it, unlike last week where if Adesanya Whitaker uh, suddenly disappeared, nobody would have bought that pay-per-view. This card is pretty solid, and people are going to watch the free card, I think, regardless of whether the main event happens or not. But it would be unfortunate. I mean, who would be moved up to the main event would be Club Swanson versus Kron Gracie? I guess so, huh? Putting a Gracie in a main event against, you know, a known commodity, a former main eventer in Swanson. I guess that could kind of work. Worst case scenario. Yep. I don't know. I don't know if they'll turn that fight into a five rounder, though. But if they do, I would imagine it might favor Swanson, who's actually been five rounds several times. That is that this this would just change so many dynamics, Nick, on this card. That would be interesting. It would also affect our picks. Uh, in a way, and I'm not sure how we're going to handle if Joanna does pull out and that fight doesn't happen. I'm not sure how we handle the uh, if we just count that as a half point, like neither here nor there, or or uh, I'm not sure how we'd handle that. But we'll, we'll figure that out, I guess, if we have to. Uh, it should be interesting to see how this new format plays out, Nick. It should be interesting to see who the winner is, and I'm looking forward to finding out next week, dude. Yeah. Uh, good luck. Good luck to you. I hope you. Uh, I hope you shit the bed. Wow, that's, that's, Nick, that is so goddamn kind. Uh, I do have a question. Do you think John Jones, like maybe there's a Walter weight, uh, uh, maybe a lightweight that John Jones can fight next? Yeah, he told, you well, he said he wants to fight Frankie Edgar. He said Edgar's a legend and that he wants to, you know. That makes sense. That that makes And you know what? That's, it's not much crazier than Conor McGregor wanting to fight Frankie Edgar. Conor McGregor, who 
recently fought at 170 and Frankie Edgar's going down to 135. Yeah, um, John Jones, get a set of balls, move up to heavyweight and fight somebody good before you call the new champion at 185. Essentially a wuss for not wanting to come up and fight you immediately. God damn it, John Jones. I, I mean, like to be Did fair, I like no, I, I know you don't like big guys. Let me, uh, hang on one second. I'm looking up some, uh, some math here. Um, yeah, it would... So, Frankie's reach is 68 inches. John Jones is 84. <laughs> so, he would he would only have... He would only have... Uh, he would only have a 16-inch reach advantage. Only 16... Only about the length of some people's forearm. That's very good. No, that's legitimately the length of some people's arm. John Jones, I'm sure if it was up to John Jones, I'm sure if it was up to John Jones, I'm sure if it was up to John Jones, I'm sure if it was up to John Jones, I'm sure if it was up to John Jones, I'm sure if it was up to John Jones, I'm sure